0: time to pray more lift our hands more clap a little louder shout a little longer get reckless with our praise because jesus is answering prayers among us revival is here hallelujah thank you jesus you are awesome in this house hallelujah carlos rodriguez had a heart attack he's in new york city and that is not too far for god to reach and touch carlos to comfort him, to heal him, to minister to him, to change his life, fix him and give him a testimony to tell somebody that they were praying for him and he was healed. Hallelujah. Shanine Kadez needs healing and comfort. And if there's anybody else in this house right now, if you haven't seen God answering prayers, pouring out the Holy Ghost on five people, then on three people, back to back, You can get your need met today. Hallelujah. Isaac Perez. Hallelujah. He's got low blood sugar. He was in the hospital. Pray for Isaac and Ariana. Let's continue to pray that we find favor with every department we need so we get the acreage. So every permit passes without having to waste any more time. So the building can come up. So the funds can come in. So we can continue to lift up our hands. Lift up our voice. As we make our way up here to the altar to have Jesus meet your needs. Jesus, we come to you right now. God, we're believing you're going to touch Isaac. You're going to heal him. You're going to comfort Ariana and take away that fear, Jesus. You're going to touch Carlos right now, God. If you can heal a blind man, you can heal a heart attack. If you can heal Brother Abel from leukemia, you can fix low blood sugar. You can fix a heart attack. If you can put a baby in a womb, you can touch Shanine Kadez right now and take away that pain. If you got a need, Jesus is in here right now. Come on, church, worship the Lord and magnify Him right now. Jesus, we love you.
1: As we call upon your name, Lord, release our destiny and we'll never be the same.
2: said if he would just release our destiny and you understand the God that we serve Jeremiah would say in 29:11 I know the thoughts that I think toward you to bless you I believe that God wants to bless his children Amen have you been the recipients of those blessings have you been the recipients of those has God ever blessed you Amen. We're going to give you an opportunity to give it an offering right now and be a cheerful giver. Be a cheerful giver. When I stop and think about how much God has given to us, it gives me joy to be able to give back to Him. So as you give today, be a cheerful giver. Dear Jesus, Thank you for all you've given to your children. God, we are so blessed. But thank you for all that you've done for us. We stop and count our blessings. We realize just how blessed we are. Bless now the gift. The giver use every bit of it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to give electronically, our church secretary is in the back, or you can give online at ptlv.org. God bless you as you give. Hallelujah. What happens hands you? Serve a
1: wonderful, powerful, awesome God. Amen.
3: Of God, we got a great turnout. We've been having good church lately. The church is on fire right now, and I'm just humbled to be a part of this this great body of believers. Um, I I thank God always for this church and for the great men of God, the great leaders that God has put our uh, put in our path. For my pastor. Um, you know, it's a challenge when you're teaching or preaching to a spiritual church. You can't fake it. You got to have the goods. You got to know what you're talking about because spiritual people can pick up on that right away. But I'm going to talk about something. I've been talking with Brother Eastridge, and there's there's some concepts that that I think God wants to deal with the church uh, to expand. I'm not going to shout you down tonight. I'm going to try not to, um, to uh, some concepts that that need to be. Addressed and some things that, that uh, a revelation that, that the church needs to have uh, to realize its, its potential. And we're going to go to the book of Isaiah, the 54th chapter, Isaiah chapter 54, and uh, verse number 1 says, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tents, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left hand. You know what that means? That means the youth pit's going to be full, and that means over there is going to be full. You're going to break forth on the right hand, and you're going to break forth on the left hand. And thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. And then one more verse of scripture in Judges chapter 5 and verse number 7. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose. That I arose a mother in Israel. So I want to just teach tonight about a mother in Israel. And so let's pray tonight. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you for your people. I pray, Lord, that a spirit of revelation and understanding, Lord God, would come upon us tonight. We pray, Lord God, that you would just enlighten our hearts, Lord. Guide us in your word. We ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. The book of Isaiah gives an admonition. Uh, it says, Sing, O barren. Thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing, cry aloud uh, for thou that didst not travail. He says, enlarge the place of your tents and and lengthen your cords. Build a bigger house. Uh, Stretch it out. Get ready for children is what he's telling them. He's saying, be prepared for revival before it even comes you know it, it, and i see it in in pastor's attitude when they said well you're you're not going to be able to get this piece of property this, you're you're going to have to be confined to this small area but his faith said no we're going to enlarge our territory because we're anticipating something greater we're anticipating more to happen so what he was saying was that the, the woman that wasn't able to bear child the one that was not able to 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 give a, to have children Get ready to have children. Go ahead and build that baby bedroom. Go ahead and buy that baby furniture. Go ahead and start planning for the baby before you even see it. And that's how faith works. Faith anticipates the result. And then the book of Judges, we see Deborah. The Bible says that there was the villages ceased in Israel until Deborah arose to be a mother in Israel. So I'm going to just talk to you today about the church today and about the ministry of motherhood. We're going to talk about that aspect of the church that has to do with motherhood. And I'm going to dedicate this message to my wife because God has used this woman. Everybody look at her right now. God has used this woman to teach me what it means to love and what it means to love unconditionally and love until it hurts and love no matter what. And to be a mother, and she's been a mother to my children, and she's put up with me. And God bless her soul for that. Jesus mentions the word church only twice in Scripture. The first mention is directly connected with his identity. His identity being the foundation upon which the church is built. Jesus explained that he would build the church. We don't build the church. He said, Upon this rock I will build my church. And very next phrase, he he describes to us that from its very inception, the church would be involved in conflict. Does anybody know we're in conflict today? The word church means drawn out. That's what the word church means, it's the ecclesia the drawn out or separated ones. It's actually the equivalent to the, to the name of Moses. Moses was that baby that Pharaoh's daughter went to the river and saw the baby and, and drew him out of the water. So she named him Moses, which means drawn out. And that's what the church is. In Scripture, we, we see water used illustrate, in a very illustrated way to, sig- to signify uh, of the world, so let 's look at Revelation chapter chapter seventeen. Revelation seventeen and one and says, "And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come up hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters' Now, we're not going to go into who this great harlot was that sat upon many waters, but the Bible says she sat upon many waters. And then we go down to verse 15, and he begins to explain the meaning of this this vision that John saw that she was sitting upon many waters. And verse number 15 says, And the waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Now, we don't like to try to uh, fig- make everything figurative, and we don't try to spiritualize everything. But when we see in Scripture that they mention something over and over again, there's a symbol there. There's something that it wants to teach us. For example, let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse number 5. And if you can't move fast enough, just look up on the screen. Uh, 2 Samuel 22 and 5, He said, When the waves of death come pass me. The floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. This is David singing a song of praise to God. He's praising God, remembering the times that he was in trouble. Remembering the times that the enemies had surrounded him, and he had nowhere to go, and he likens it to being surrounded by water. He says the waves of death, the floods of ungodly men. So the people around him was like a multitude, was like being in the middle of a wave or being in the midst of waters. If you don't believe me, let's go down to verse number 17, 2 Samuel 22 and 17. And David said he called to God, he prayed, and it said he sent from above. He took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hated me. For they were too strong for me. So here we have this image of many waters. And David surrounded by people, multitudes of people like many waters. And he said, then suddenly I realized I was in a circumstance and a situation that I had no control over. So I called unto God. And he drew me out of many waters. That's what the church is. We were in the midst of this world. We were in the midst of a nation of people. And God drew us out of that. He took us from a multitude of people and set us apart for himself. We are drawn out like Moses. We are drawn out like David. Why do you think that Jesus confined his earthly ministry to a very small place, to a very small location? He was in one little area where he performed his ministry. And he would tell the disciples, he said, all right, come on, guys, let's go out to the town. Let me teach you a little bit about ministry. Let me teach you how to cast out devils. Let me teach you how to heal the sick. Let me teach you how to minister, how to serve, how to pour yourself out. It was kind of like a classroom. It was a little classroom for for those guys. And then he would send them out. He says, all right, guys, now you guys go out and do it. I want you to know that God, that God intends you for you to do everything that he did. And he said, now you go out and do the same thing that you saw me do. So it was kind of like a little classroom scene. And he's saying, I'm going to teach you how to minister. I'm going to teach you how to do the things that I did. And then they would go out and they would cast out devils and they would do all these things. And, and so Jesus would say, okay, now talk to me. Tell me a little bit about what you learned out in your, out in your little experience. They said, whoa, Lord, we... We cast out devils with our our hands, and and we did great things. And Jesus said, don't get all lifted up and prideful. He says, don't rejoice that the devils are made subject unto you. He said, if you're going to rejoice, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. We're, We're supposed to expect the miracle. We're supposed to expect the devil to be cast out. We don't rejoice over that. We rejoice that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so he would have them in his little classroom, but when he really wanted to teach them a lesson, he would send them out into the sea. That's where the real lesson is, out in the sea. Because in the sea is the place that you have no control over your surroundings. The sea is the place that you cannot manipulate your situation. The sea is the place where you only can trust in him, where you only can depend upon him. The sea, as the, as the wind and the waves blow, the sea is the place where you can be crested to the heights of experience, but in the very same instant be plunged down to the depths of despair and despondency. That's the definition of ministry, right? Right? You could be on top of the world one day and at the very next day be at the very bottom of, of, of the depths of, of ready, discouragement, of ready just to give up. And so the real lesson was in the sea. We see that in Psalm 107, verse number 23. It says, they that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters. These see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth the raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. And they are at their wits end. That is the definition of ministry. That is the definition of living for God. You're not going to always be on top. You're going to be on the top, and you're going to be on the bottom. You're going to be at your wits end and say, I don't know what to do or how to get out of this situation. He said, they stagger like a drunken man. I'm sorry, I said I wasn't going to yell. Let me take a drink of water. Verse number 28, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh calm the storm, so that the waves thereof are still. I tell you what the, what the sea does. I tell you what, what the sea experience does. It makes you appreciate the boat. You say, oh, I don't need the boat. I don't need church. I can do it on my own. Well, wait till you go into a storm. Then you'll appreciate the boat. Wait till you go through a situation in life when the winds and the waves blow uh, and you find yourself, you don't know what's up or what's down. uh, You appreciate a place of refuge, uh, a place of safety that you can come uh, and find the calm, uh, the one who holds the wind in his fist uh, and says, peace, be still. The apostles were doing great and they had great success in their ministry. They said everything was good. But then we see a little bit of political turbulence. And the Bible said Herod stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. He went and beheaded James and put Peter in prison. But the Bible said that prayer was made continually by the church unto God for him. You know, I've heard I've read something and said, heard something and said the church is the only army that kills their wounded not this church this is a church that when we find someone falls or we find that someone's in a storm we gather around them and begin to call unto God continually until that situation is turned around that's the sign of a spiritual church the bible said he that is spiritual among you restore one another The disciples were in the boat and they thought that the boat was gonna sink at some times. There's times when you think the boat's gonna sink. You know, I, I always think that's a, that story always gets me because Jesus is sleeping in the boat and, and the winds and the waves come and the boat's gonna sink and they're afraid that the boat is gonna sink. Were they afraid that Jesus was gonna sink? Were they afraid that he was gonna to perish too? As long as Jesus is in the boat, it's not gonna sink. As long as the Lord's in it, there's, it's not going to go down. One thing about the storm experience is it teaches us that no matter what goes on around us, no matter what the winds of political turbulence and no matter what the religious and social upheavals are, as long as we look to him and as long as we call upon him, we're going to be all right. It's easy to get caught up. Peter started to drown. He started to sink when he got his eyes off of Jesus and started to look about what's going on around him. I'm thankful that we have a pastor that knows how to keep his focus. It's easy to get caught up in the news. And Brother Adam, that was right on. I deleted my Twitter when he preached that message about about praying and getting off of the the whole political thing. It's, It's easy to get on a bandwagon but as long as we keep our eyes on Him, no matter what the world is going through, no matter what the turbulence is, as long as we keep our eyes upon Him, we're talking about the church today. We are the church, the body of believers. In the New Testament, the term church has an overlapping and overarching meaning. We see in Acts chapter 11, verse 22, it talks about the church in Jerusalem. Acts 13 and 1, the church in Antioch. Acts 14, 23, Paul and Barnabas go throughout Lystra and Derbe and ordain elders in all the churches. Romans 16 and 5, the church that is in the house of Aquila and Priscilla. I think the problem is our modern mindset, our modern concept of church is a building. Our modern concept is not a New Testament concept of church. The New Testament concept, the Bible says that daily from the, in the temple and in house to house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Now, it's important that we have a building and a place to meet, but if you meet in a house, that's the church. If you meet somewhere else, as long as the believers are gathered together, that is the church, which is the body of Christ, the body of believers. This concept that we got is a Roman concept that came along in the the dark ages when they invented all these doctrines such as the Trinity and and infant baptism. They also created that concept of of gathering together on Sunday and, and, and worshiping in these big cathedrals. But it wasn't until modern days that we started to get this revelation beyond the revelation of Jesus' name, baptism, and the baptism of the Holy Ghost, uh, we begin to get this revelation of what the church is. And it's not until we get this full revelation uh, of what the church actually is uh, that it's not confined to the building. The church, we would realize that the church is not a one or a two day a week thing. Uh, we are the church. Uh, when we realize that we are the church, uh, people will get the Holy Ghost every day of the week. Uh, people will get baptized every day of the week. Uh, we, will be re- we will realize the full potential. In fact, I believe that the revival that God's sending cannot be contained in this building. I don't think it'd be cont- contained in any building in this city. It's going to have to go into your houses. It's going to have to go to wherever you meet together with believers. That's the church where two or three are gathered together in my name. He said, I am there in the midst. That's the church. The church is many things and can have many positive roles in the community. But First and foremost, the church is the body of Christ, present, on this earth. And whatever his priority was as a man is what our priority has to be as a living body. First Timothy 2 and 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5:18, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As through God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's deed, be ye reconciled to God. What it's saying is, we are what he was as a man here on this earth. We are the mediator between a lost world and an eternal God. We are the living body of Christ on this earth. We are ambassadors for Christ. I think it's great when churches pass out sandwiches to hungry people, but we have something much better than a sandwich. We can get you filled with the Holy Ghost huh, and get you out of your condition huh, so you can get a job huh, and go and make yourself a sandwich. We are that vessel of Christ on the earth. We are the flesh of Christ. There was a real, it, the same way that Christ came on the earth is the same way that a church is built or a church built is born there's a promise that is given to a willing vessel and that willing vessel is willing to hold on and believe that promise until it gives birth till it gives flesh to that word the bible said the word was made flesh and dwelt among us the purpose of the church is to make the word flesh Mary was blessed because of her obedience But as the crowds gathered around Jesus and they began to, he was crowded with people and they said, Jesus, your mother and your brethren are without and they desire to speak with you. Jesus said, who's my mother and who's my brethren? And he looked at his disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brethren, for he that does the will of God, the same as my brother and sister and mother, the same as Mary gave birth to the word, you also give birth to the promise in this earth. (laughs) Mary was not the mother of God. She was the mother of that flesh that God dwelled into. She gave birth to the flesh, but he got his blood from his daddy. And he got his name from his daddy. And he got his genes from his daddy. Therefore, that holy thing shall be called the Son of God. And as Mary gave birth to the flesh... That was the Word made flesh, so the body of Christ uh, gives birth uh, to the Word uh, or to the reality that God wants to uh, birth uh, into our world. Uh, We are the bride of Christ. And as a chaste virgin, she was a virgin that gave birth. We also, the church, give birth to the promises of God. It's no coincidence that we come together and have a prayer meeting and several are groaning and travailing in the spirit and then we have a service and several receive the Holy Ghost. That's a direct result of the travail and the labor when you pray in the Holy Ghost. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, you are birthing the promises of God. The terms the church, and the bride of Christ are synonymous. So with that, the next few moments, I want to talk to you about the ministry of motherhood. The Bible said God raised up Deborah to be a mother in Israel. The villages were empty until God raised up a mother in Israel. The ministry of motherhood will be the key that not only unlocks the revival that we are entering into but it is the key that will sustain the souls that will come through our doors it is the ministry of motherhood historically when men have fallen short of their roles women have rise to the occasion to step it up and to fill the role of mother and father in the home Thank God we're having, we're seeing a resurgence of men who are stepping up and being leaders. I think uh, Brother Arnold, when he did our men's conference, he said, back in the day they didn't have men's conferences, did they? He says it was just ladies' memorial and stuff like that. He says now we're having men's conferences and men are actually stepping up. Young men are pulling up their pants and putting a little bass in their voice and learning what it means to be a man. We live in a society where single-parent homes have become the norm. By 1965, 5% of children were ba- born to unmarried parents. By 1980, it was 18%. By the year 2000, it was 33%. By 2015, it was 41% of children born to unmarried parents. In the black community is 71%. Without trying to dive into the reasons for this growth of single-parent homes, we can look at some of the statistics of single-parent homes. Children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to grow up in poverty and commit crime. Nine times more likely to drop out of school. Twenty times more likely to end up in prison. There's a story, a very true story, uh, not, it didn't happen too long ago in Africa. They, uh, there, was a, there was an area in Africa where there was drought. And there was a herd of elephants that were on the brink of extinction. And because of the drought, they realized that they were gonna have to transfer these elephants to an area that had more water. And so they were able to transport many of the elephants to this area where there was water. And they found out that after a while, these elephants began to act erratically, they began to um, engage in delinquent behavior. These elephants were beginning to kill other animals for no reason and kill each other. And they were beginning to get young elephants pregnant and not raising their children, the baby elephants. And so they they, they went to a, a specialist and they said, "What's we need to figure out what's going on with these elephants because they're going to destroy themselves." It's self-destructive behavior. And the expert asked them and said, "Where is the father?" And they said, well, the father was too heavy. We couldn't airlift him, so we had to leave him behind. And so he said, you better get that father there, because if you don't get the father there, you're going to lose these elephants. So they figured out a way to airlift the elephant. The father and they brought the the father elephant and it wasn't long before they all started to straighten out and started to to behave and act right. We say, what's going on in our generation? Why is there so much crime and gangs and all that thing? The problem is is we need to get them to their father. And if we can't bring them to the father, we need to bring the father to them. This is a fatherless generation. It is shown that Fatherless homes are homes that grow up without structure and security and discipline. Where a mother's mother's role is to provide love and nurturing and support. Many women have been forced to fill the role of provider and protector and have been stretched thin, not being able to fill their natural role of nurturer and encourager. It's been shown that single-parent homes tend to be more successful When it's a single mother as opposed to a single father. It shows us that although it's not a perfect situation, it's far more important that the child be loved and nurtured than to have discipline and structure. It shows that love and nurture supports that a lot stronger than than the other. The father's job is to go out and to kill the animal and to bring it home and feed that family. But the mother's job biologically is to nurture. The mother is the one who can eat the food and process it and produce milk and nurture the babes. The father can't nurture. Typically, a child spends more time with his mother than with his father. You don't have to be a biological male parent to be a father. Paul said you have many instructors in Christ, but not many fathers. Pastor has a special role of feeling a father in many people's lives that have not had a good father in their life. Pastor has been a father to us and many others, and that's why we love him so much, because he gives us what we've always wanted in a father. He gives us that, that stability and that strength, and that's what, a, that's what a pastor is. A pastor is a father to the church. A pastor is one that is supposed to correct and instruct, and feed, and provide for the children. But where's the mother? Sister Blizzard is a wonderful example for us of a mother, and we love Sister Blizzard very much. But can we assume that it's Sister Blizzard's role to feed all of the new converts, and to care for all of the potential converts? Is the First Lady of the church the mother of the church? If the pastor is the father, then who is the mother? The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. And the church is the ministry of motherhood. It is our role as a church to be a mother to the new converts. It is our role and our goal to touch them, talk to them, contact them, spend time with them. That's what a mother does. We're going to be launching into cell group ministries. This is just, just a talk to the church. We're going to be launching into cell group ministries in the beginning of the year coming up. But there's some concepts that we're going to, we, we, we want to, to illustrate. We want a clear understanding of what we're doing because we're very intentional about this revival that God's sending our way. I've, I've, I've always been very strong. When, I, when I've won people to God... And they didn't stick around. That's something that breaks my heart more than anything. How would you feel if you gave birth to a child and you were not able to see that child grow to full maturity? It's the purpose. The purpose of having child is to enjoy that child and to watch them grow and to mature and to become productive parents themselves. And so I want to talk to you today about the ministry of motherhood. A mother is one that contacts them. So when, we're gonna, when we launch into these cell group ministries, we're not teaching meat. We're not teaching hard, strong doctrine. We're giving them milk. We're changing their diapers. We're washing them. We're encouraging them. We're loving them. We're touching them. We're giving them that love that they need. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. If we can understand this concept that the church does not end when we leave this building. But in fact, we come to this building to be recharged, to be renewed, and to go out and perform the ministry of motherhood. We come to this church to be fed by our pastor. To be fed by the ministry and what we receive and we digest, we give that to their children. We give that to the babies and we nurture them and love them to Christ. So I'm I'm out of notes today and I'm going to pass it back to pastor tonight. Let's clap our hands. Wow. That's good
2: stuff right there. I'm going to tell you something, that's good stuff. He read a scripture in in the start, and I want to, and the Lord spoke to me as he read it. We like to read from the book of Isaiah 54. Those verses are always important to us, and when Isaiah would begin to write in in verse number 2, whenever he would talk about lengthening the cords, we all get excited about getting bigger. Lengthening the cords, making it bigger, a bigger place to be, a bigger this, a bigger that. It's just lengthening the cords. But then the very next part of that says that it's going to strengthen those stakes. I won't praise Tabernacle to get much larger than what it is. Not just for a number. But I will promise you one thing. As we lengthen the cord, we're going to drive the stakes in a little deeper. We're going to drive them in a little deeper. We are apostolic in what we believe, and we're going to be apostolic in what we believe. We are holiness in our lifestyle, and we're going to be holiness in our lifestyle. That's not going to change. That's not going to change. We're going to be Pentecostal in our worship. Amen. That's not going to change. What's going to happen when we have new people come in? I said it on Sunday. They're not When they walk into a church called Praise Tabernacle, they already know they're not walking into the first church of the refrigerator. Amen. They know we're not cold and dead and dry. They expect us to be alive. They expect us to be on fire. They expect, look, if we don't, something's wrong with us. We, if we disappoint them, Three weeks ago, I had seven people from a Catholic family here, and um, they came and visited. I had preached the funeral for the lady's husband and these children's father, and um, I went back to see them, and they all came to church on that Sunday, and um, on that Sunday, we had some church. On this past Sunday, there was a little lady sitting on the second row right here with her boyfriend that uh, Brother Aber had witnessed to, and, and they came and we had church. And you know what? Some of you have prayed that prayer Oh Lord, oh Lord, please don't let them have a racetrack around here on Sunday. Oh Lord, I got guests coming. I want you to understand, I've had doctors, I've had lawyers, I've had very successful business people that I have not I had a man that owned a casino that came and sat in our services, and every single time I've had those people of those status that have come to our services, we've had one of those services. And you know what? We have not run a one of them off, and we're not scared a one of them off. You know what they've told me afterwards is I felt something there I never felt in my life. That Catholic family told me when I went to see them last week, they said, Pastor Blizzard, we're coming back again. There was something special about that service. Uh, One of those young men went to work at a hospice place where I do some work, and he told me today, he said, Mama said, we're coming back to your church again because we never saw anything like that before. We never felt anything like that before. Wow, we're the mother. We're giving them something they never had, something they've always looked for and needed and wanted. Don't be ashamed of being apostolic. My word. Let's stand together. That was a good word tonight. Brother Pavlo. that was a good word tonight. It started with a good word about your wife. I'm telling you, I don't see your children in here. I know that they are all in sign teams and and, and drama practice. We've got half the churches in the other building in either sign team or drama practice tonight. And it's probably going to be that way for several weeks. So there's probably, when you look around, there's probably 130 of us on campus tonight, but there's a bunch of them over there. But when you look at their children, some of you go back to the first time that, they walked into church. Brother Pavla had just left a, a prison. I don't tell that to embarrass him. That's where he taught Bible studies, did you know, all kinds of things. That's where God got a hold of him. And I'm just blessed that God sent him this way. And he wanted a wife. He was talking to some old girl out of California. And Sister Bianca came to church. She said, I want to talk to you, pastor. I said, okay. She said, that guy worshiping God on that front row. I said, well, he's, I think he's engaged to somebody. She said, mm. I'm going to pray a little harder. And she did. And he didn't, that, that other deal, he said, that ain't the will of God. so there was the will of God but he had some children from a previous marriage and his BC life before Christ and I sit her down and I said let me tell you something he already has children can you love those children She said, I can't. I said, they're not going to love you to start. They're not going to love you. You're going to be so different from anything they've ever known. They're going to hate you. And I won't go into all the details. There's some really unusual circumstances that happen there. But I will tell you one thing. I'll get in trouble with it. But they love her more than him. Uh, <laughs> he'll tell you that. <laughs> Why? Because she loved them. She loved them. Now use that as an example. You see the baby sitting next to her. There ain't no many, there's not many babies that don't love her. Because she's been a mother to a lot of them. You understand that? And you all know that. I use that as an example because if we can all develop that kind of a, a love for people to the place that they'll love us more than whatever it was they had before. Why? Because I found somebody that's real in loving me. You don't fool people. You don't fool kids. You don't fool dogs. They know whether you love them or not. They know whether you love them or not. You can't fake it. We have got to love People, I tell folks all the time There are a lot of people There are a lot of preachers Can out preach me There's a whole bunch There's a bunch of them around here One of them did it tonight But I'll promise you one thing there Ain't none of them Gonna out love me It ain't gonna happen I said it's not gonna happen I promised God That years ago Ain't nobody gonna out love me Pastor you'll get burned I've been burned so many times It don't really matter anymore It's not going to keep me from loving people. Hear me today. God wants this church, and I'm going to tell you something. This church has taken on that DNA. This church has taken on that DNA. That's the one thing I'm proud of, is they come through those doors, and I don't care what condition they come through those doors, somebody's going to love them. Somebody's going to make them feel loved. Uh, Somebody's going to tell them they're loved. Uh, Somebody's going to tell them that God loves and cares about them. Church, that's what we've got to do. There's a hurting world outside our doors. They've been abused and used and thrown away. But if we as the church can love them and love them, that doesn't mean we're going to accept everything they do. We're just going to love them to Jesus. Jesus will get them cleaned up. Jesus will get them fixed up. We'll work with them. They'll get hungry enough they'll want to be part of it. And they'll come to what we need to be. Amen. Sing. Just this week, look around and maybe start thinking of three or four people you haven't seen in service in the last two or three weeks and call them this week. Call them this week. You know, I have a master list of 300, almost 400 names of people that claim Praise Tabernacle to be their church. And On any given Sunday, we'll have two, 250, whatever we have that that show up in our actual service, and they're here. There are a lot more. They all claim it. If everybody came at one time, we would be standing. But I wonder what would happen if we would reach for some of those that are not faithful and just love on them this week. I mean just love on them this week. Look around, see somebody that's not here you haven't seen in a while. Maybe you haven't seen them in six months. Just reach out to them this week. You know, I have two or three people I think are my sheepdogs. Every good shepherd has to have a sheepdog. Now that sheepdog's not correcting the sheep. You know what he's doing? He's herding them. He's, He's taking the back of the flock and he's nipping at them to, to get them moved in a little closer. One of the best sheepdogs i got in this church is Sister Yvette. She's just really good at it. She looks and sees somebody that's not here and had not been here for a while, and I'll reach out and say, hey, have you heard Sister, I talked to them this week. I said, would you tell them I ask about it? and I love them next to I walk into service, there they sit. I didn't reach them, she reached them. Why? she's really good at that why don't you ask God to help you be good at that why don't you ask God if you say well I don't know who to reach out to just send me an email I'll send you some names and you get a hold of them and you love them you let them know you care and I promise you this place will be standing room it'll be standing room in the next three or four weeks if everybody does that this week just reach out to some people. They're all around us. They're hurting. But you see, we gotta mother them. How many of you mamas ever had your kids get upset and you just had to love them back? Come here, come here, come here. You're not gonna do that. Come here. You don't throw them away. I like what Brother Pablo said. We don't bury our wounded at Praise Tabernacle. We're not gonna bury our wounded. No, we're going to, I just went through a six-hour CPR class today. And I'm going to tell you, I can do that. The instructor said, Pastor, you're really going. I said, yeah. They're supposed to be between 100 and 120 beats, you know, compressions in a minute now. They timed me out at 134. One-handed. She said, you're supposed to use two hands. I said, some of us got more to lean on. Booga, booga, booga. saw some of those little old skinny ones jumping up and down. I said, hey, y'all just, you know what? You do the breathing on them. I'll do the pump in here. We'll do fine. It takes all of us to get them. It takes every one of us to get them healthy. Some of them are nearly dead. We may have to breathe some life back into them. But we're not going to bury them. We're not going to bury them. We're going to go and rescue them. The Bible said, if a brother be overtaken in fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one." Consider in yourself. It could be you. Would you want somebody to come get you? Then let's go get them. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this good word we heard tonight. Thank you for the man that delivered it with a burden. Now, God, I pray that that same spirit would get on us and help us become the mother. That nurturing mother to those that are hurting, those that are in need, help us and use us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you. If you have not voted yet, I am encouraging you to get out and early vote, get the voting done. America needs your vote. God bless you.